It's Wednesday, June 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Brian Hinman. Happy Wednesday, guys. Yo. Hey, Chris. Just two more days till National Donut Day. Just hang uh-huh. in there, everybody. <laughs> Countdown is on. Circle your calendars. June 7th, Friday, National Donut Day. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, some legal trouble that uh, that Apple is in. The latest innovation in the pizza industry, but we're going to start with Amazon. Uh, for the past few years, Amazon has been quietly testing an online grocery business, and apparently the tests have paid off because now Amazon is planning a major rollout of what they call Amazon Fresh. Um, Brian, this has been tested in Seattle. The reports are they're going to roll this out into Los Angeles later this month, San Francisco later in the year. Uh, what do you think? Is this... Uh, is this going to mean a lot to the bottom line, first and foremost? No, and color me skeptical. Okay. Uh, so Amazon's been trying this uh, in Seattle since about 2007. So they've had five years to practice and to tweak it and to get it right. And the announcement now is coming out that they're going to roll it out to L.A. and San Francisco pretty soon, uh, and then maybe up to 20 more markets by 2014, which is pretty quick. So Amazon is definitely saying that, hey, we think this can work. Uh, now, why am I skeptical? Well, this doesn't really jive, I don't think, with what they do. And there have been a lot of uh, companies out there who have tried this and failed. Uh, Webvan is out there uh, and, and obviously you know, had a pretty fantastic failure at, at this delivery. Uh, Peapod is out there, um, mainly on the East Coast. They've been doing this since 1989, uh, and they are still trying to make the internet delivery or, or delivery via internet ordering they're really still trying to make that work just last year they uh, announced that they were opening up pickup locations um okay that's not delivery that's not delivery <laughs> right it's basically saying that even in the most populated cities you know on the east coast they're not getting enough scale to make the model uh work and pay off um not only that but they're charging for pickup so you they're charging for delivery or they're charging for pickup they're basically grasping at straws um I don't know if Amazon's going to have any more success here. Uh, this requires a heck of a lot of scale to work, which means there are only a few markets in which uh, that, sc- that, that population density exists. There are a number of companies out there already there. Google plays in this market. Peapod is uh, in this market, and there are several other smaller. Uh, they're going to be all in the same markets very soon. And what that says to me is that they're going to start competing more and more on price. And this is already a model that hasn't proven out financially. Are you as skeptical as Brian? Uh, maybe not as skeptical. I think that this is probably a bit more of a limited market opportunity. I think this is kind of like real estate. It's very location-based. I think there are some markets out there where this might work okay. Uh, you know, others where it won't work so well. I mean, we've, we've tried Peapod before. I know people here in, in Northern Virginia that use Peapod and like that. Uh, the availability of, of having their, their groceries just delivered to them and they don't have to worry about it. I mean, we, we have things delivered to us from Amazon, uh, household items like dog food and paper towels and stuff like that, which is great. I don't know necessarily that we would use something like that. But again, I think that it, it is just in line with really what Amazon's whole goal from the very get-go is, which is to be the most customer-centric company on the face of the earth. And so I think while a lot of people look at Amazon having a lot of pokers in the fire, 
I, I tend to just look at they really have just one iron in the fire, and that's just to be the most customer-centric company in the world. And they're just choosing to approach that by offering a lot of different products and services that others may not want to get into. Yeah, that one poker Jason is uh, is alluding to is I, I really think that Amazon's just like trying to become the ultimate convenience enabler. Um, this obviously plays into that. I mean, if they did this in Alexandria, I would certainly give it a try because I value my time very highly, and grocery shopping is, is annoying. Now, <laughs> yes, on both counts. What, what Amazon yeah. sees here, obviously, is uh, the grocery market is huge. It's $570 billion about in, in the U.S. So this is an enormous market. Peapod uh, has been doing this for a long time, and they're about, I think, $500 million in sales. So still really small. Um, the problem is that uh, Amazon doesn't necessarily have the infrastructure built for this already. So it's not just leveraging what they've already got. It's not a tack on business for them. This is a completely new venture. Uh, they're warehouse you know, and distribution facilities aren't necessarily built for perishable items. Right. Uh, and that is what this service requires, is it requires them to be able to uh, stock and have selection that customers want when they want it. And there are Yelp reviews of the Seattle service for Amazon Fresh. Uh, all of the bad reviews are basically, uh, they come in two forms, or three forms, I guess. Number one, delivery wasn't on time. But on average, it seems like delivery is pretty good. Amazon is getting that right because they are owning delivery. They own the trucks. They they hire the people, uh, and they're doing the packaging. The second uh, thing is, uh, hey, I ordered this, but then you alerted me right before my I was expecting my delivery that it was out of stock. Uh, so uh, the answer to that is they have to keep more stock on hand while food goes bad, and so you're going to have more loss. So that's no good. Um, so I just don't know that they're going to be able to get this right because it's completely new for them. I also think that to the point of uh, delivery, as you were talking about it, it got me thinking just my own experience, and I'm, ge- I'm an Amazon Prime member and generally very pleased but I, I realized as you were talking that uh, if I order a book or a movie or a C- CD or something like that, and it comes in a range of delivery dates, this will come to you in three to five days, that sort of thing. It ultimately, in most cases, it doesn't matter to me if it comes on day three or day five. Right. Whereas we're, if you're talking about perishable groceries... Yeah, that's all the more important that I get it, not only on the day, but to your point about the timing. So the service is really pretty impressively laid out in that regard. They they allow you to choose. Yeah, they allow you to choose a a three-hour window for uh, drop-off. So basically, you don't have to be there. They'll have... You pick a three-hour window, and they will leave it on your doorstep in temperature-controlled bags, or a one-hour attended. Uh, where you say, I will be at my house at this time over this hour, and you'll get it there. Yeah. So so those are re- very reasonable window times. Um, the problem is it's very easy for that to go wrong. And in order to get it right, you have to have massive in- infrastructure in place. You have to have more than enough trucks, more than enough people, more than enough packaging supplies to ensure that uh, people are going to trust, be able to trust uh, your delivery times. Let me take the other side of this, uh, and then we'll move on to the other Amazon news. But uh, you've made the point before, Jason, that Jeff Bezos is a guy who has demonstrated for years and years that he is willing to spend money and that if yeah. you get into a spending match with Jeff Bezos, you are going to lose. For that reason alone, if you are Kroger or Walmart, which I believe Walmart sells more groceries than anyone in America, uh, aren't you just, if not nervous, you're certainly 
paying close attention to how this plays out for the rest of 2013? I think they, I mean, they definitely have to, but I also think they're probably looking at this from the perspective of it's not really, you know, their bread and butter is providing a grocery store where you can go get your groceries. I mean, it's going to be cutthroat margin, you know, anyway. And so, I mean, competing on price, I don't think is necessarily the issue here. It's competing on convenience. And so I think there's going to be a small enough swath of consumers out there who are looking for this convenience where it's not going to necessarily take a whole lot of traffic away from the grocery stores that are out there. Yeah, I mean, Amazon is definitely investing a lot in the infrastructure here to build the warehouses with the refrigeration and the space to keep things like this. And so, it, it, I, again, I think I don't. I think this is just a, a little bet that they're placing in a big market to, to, you know, like Brian said. I mean, they're really focused on on just being, you know, the ultimate convenience provider. And this is just another sort of spoke in that wheel. The other news with Amazon is their new deal with Viacom. Um, and I had first seen this, I think, last week on Twitter when people were tweeting about how some of the shows th- that they were used to watching or their children were used to watching on Netflix were now gone. And apparently Amazon has scooped up the Viacom content, Dora the Explorer and Nickelodeon shows and that sort of thing. Um, but obviously that's not free. What did what did they end up paying for that? It was a couple hundred million. Estimates were yeah, a little bit more than $200 million, um, and, and the content should be licensed for a bit more than two years. Uh, so there were some exclusive uh, parts to the deal. But generally speaking, this is a lot of content that Netflix chose to not renew based on what they felt their customers weren't really uh, placing enough value on. And, and so, you know, I mean, Amazon has done a great job. Uh, building up this this prime video library it's it, it was late to the game you know when you look at it compared to something like a netflix but again i mean i think that what what amazon's doing here is we talk all the time about these membership models and something like a costco where the members pay $55 a year to be able to go there for that convenience and that service. And Amazon's really trying to offer that same sort of compelling option with the Prime service. And $79 a year, you know, the initial selling point was two-day free shipping. But now you're getting this uh, free free streaming videos. You get lending library from the Kindle library. Uh, they're going to more than likely add more, more perks to it as it goes on. But we know from all of this research that's been done by all of these outside parties that Online consumers place the highest value on free shipping when considering making online purchases, uh, along with uh, the post uh, purchase experience, whether it's a returns or just satisfaction with a product. And so that's why Amazon, I think, continues to add all of these values to their prime relationship because ultimately, you know, they're now giving you this prime relationship for $79 a year and you get this video streaming and you get the books and all this stuff. The shipping is is free and i think really it it gives consumers more of the perception that the shipping truly is free because initially it wasn't free you were paying 79 dollars a year for that option but now with all of this other stuff in there the shipping can start to genuinely look free which is i think a big deal it'll probably bring more people into their universe and as they sell more of these kindle fires along with these you know month-long free prime subscriptions uh, we're seeing the the prime memberships really starting to to spike and now you can find a new home to watch Dora the Explorer. Like I told you, man, my kids just about wet themselves last night when they saw they could watch Victorious seasons one through four. The U.S. International Trade Commission has ruled that Apple violated a Samsung patent with older models of the iPhone and iPad. Apple has 60 days to work this out. Otherwise, the devices can no longer be imported to the U.S. And Brian... Uh, we're talking about more than just one or two devices here. Um, the iPhone models are the 3GS and the iPhone 4. Uh, for the iPad, it's the iPad 3G. 
iPad 2 3G and the iPad 3. Uh, again, not the certainly in the case of the iPhone, it's not the latest models, but if they don't get this worked out in the next 60 days, that's uh, revenue that's not going to be available to them. Yeah, so the the patent uh, the patent that Samsung owns uh, relates to 3G. So it's all of Apple's products that use 3G, that need 3G connectivity. Um, now, let's get this out of the way first. The immediate impact is probably going to be really small. Estimates are out there that it's only going to affect this quarter's uh, earnings by about 3%. Um, on top of that, um, Apple's going to appeal this, which should buy it some time. Uh, President Obama has 60 days to overturn this, which might render this... And an appeals court could overturn. Exactly. Um, And older devices, the the older devices that we're talking about here, are less important to Apple in the U.S. than they are to Apple outside of the U.S. And this this infringement uh, brings with it an import ban. So Apple wouldn't be able to sell these products in the U.S., but they would still likely be able to sell them outside the U.S. So the impact immediately isn't massive. The bigger picture here is that this patent is what is called a standard essential patent. Uh, it basically means this is uh, every phone maker that needs to use 3G has to uh, license this patent from uh, the patent owner, in this case, Samsung. Now, there are thousands of these uh, standard essential patents that basically because there are standards set up for, you know, internet connectivity and, and these sorts of things. Now, Samsung is obligated to license that at a fair and reasonable price. The reason this court battle happened is because the two were so far apart on what fair and reasonable meant. <laughs> now, because I am, Samsung because, said a million dollars and <laughs> Apple said two. Because I am a geek, I went and looked up uh, this court case, and it turns out that Samsung wanted 2.4% of every device that used this patent. Apple wanted to pay 0.000375%. Now, quick math says that Samsung was requesting 64,000 times as much per device as Apple was willing to pay. So they're pretty far apart. They're here. pretty far apart. They're I'm pretty far apart here. Nothing. <laughs> so, so what does this mean? I don't think this is necessarily an Apple specific story right now. What I think the bigger story here is if this is upheld, um, ba- it basically says that companies who own patents, who own these standard essential patents, have enormous pricing power. And what you're going to see then is all of these patent owners going to come out of the woodwork and file lawsuits everywhere saying, we're not being paid enough, we're not being paid enough. Now, consumers are going to lose in that market. Sure, you know, the people who need to license uh, those patents are also going to lose, like Apple. Or if you don't, if you don't own any of these standard patents, you're going to lose. But ultimately, that's going to flow through in the prices we pay as consumers. Lawyers are going to win, and patent holders are going to win. Wow! I see. Here, I was just looking at this story as well. This doesn't really affect me in any significant <laughs> way. But to hear you tell it, I have a very vested interest as a consumer in essentially seeing that Apple gets this overturned. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I, I think this, uh, you know, this could be, you know, an inflection point, you know, in litigation going forward. Uh, and that's an ongoing cost that these companies already pay, but it could, they could need to already, they could need to set aside money, uh, going forward, uh, uh, orders of magnitude above what they already pay for legal fees. And that's going to flow through in pricing, I think. 
What do you think when you when you look at this story and the potential ripple effects for shares of Apple, which let, let's not kid ourselves, they've really struggled over the last, now it's going on somewhere in the neighborhood of nine, ten months. Yeah, they have. I mean, I, I'm, I'm as big an Apple fan as anyone. I mean, I have an iPad and an iPhone, which incidentally are subject to this patent, so they better not be coming to take my devices away from me. But. Oh, confiscation is next, <laughs> I, my friend. I mean, I think that what, you know, these are the pitfalls of really being a, a device maker. This patent litigation really is more or less ongoing. And so we see Apple with these, you know, this talk of like ITV and trying to offer up some sort of a, a switch to the cable model and iRadio with music streaming service. Apple's really trying to figure out a way to make that transition from being a device maker to really being more than just a device maker, a service provider. And so then you look at something like we talked about an Amazon, for example, and, and that's one of the reasons why you know, I, I tend to really like Amazon so much is because you, you hear Bezos say this time and time again, is they don't want to make money from people buying their devices. They want to make money from people using their devices. And they develop these relationships and just these continual spending habits of, of consumers everywhere. So I, it's the pitfalls of, of, of Apple. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they'll figure out a way to, to deal with it and they'll come up with a new product that wows us. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you got to keep this stuff in mind. So Chris, uh, Jason said, you know, this is, this is something that you have to you have to deal with if you're, you know, own shares of a device maker or a consumer electronics uh, maker. I have a, a an interesting investing uh, play off of this. There's a company out there called RPX Corp. Ticker symbol RPXC, and basically they came into existence by buying up a bunch of old patents. So they've basically purchased a patent portfolio. Um, they own a ton of patents, and then what they do is they go out to all of these consumer electronics company and they say. Um, how would you like to buy a subscription to access to our patent portfolio? And basically what, what they're doing is they are saying, we can promise we won't sue you. Uh, we promise that other companies won't be able to sue you because we own we own the you know we own these patents. This sounds like something out of a mob movie. It, it, where it's it, it like is it's a, a protection racket. It absolutely is. It is is a mob company. It's very <laughs> fascinating though. Well, you know that is the thing about the mafia. They, Should they, we expect a phone call? Or they, an tend email be, and they tend to be profitable. Well, yesterday it was Don Cop and Heifer, and you know now we got this. Um, our final story uh, on Tuesday: shares of Domino's Pizza hit a new fifty-two week high, and I think I know why, gentlemen, because <laughs> earlier in the week a franchise uh, over in the UK posted a video of the Domicopter, an unmanned drone capable of delivering. Two pizzas. Uh, I love this. It's I, awesome. It, it's it, yeah. It is an awesome <laughs> video, um, which is why I was a little surprised that the uh, and and I'm going to use an old term here. The the fuddy duddy spokesman for Domino's U.S. came out and immediately said, "This has nothing to do with us in the United States, and we have no plans to pursue this idea." Come on, it's a unmanned drone helicopter that delivers pizza. Think about the liability here, though. I mean, all of a sudden now they have to take into consideration at least that what if one of these drones accidentally drops the pizza mid-route and it, it lands on someone's head? Uh, Berkshire Hathaway will ensure that. Nah, worry about that. They That's won't, but Markel will because they <laughs> do the specialty insurance. That is what you call specialty insurance. That is specialty insurance. So, so I think the reason that this uh, the Domino's <laughs> U.S. marketing guy came out and said this was is because the FAA has a rule prohibiting unmanned drones for commercial use. So it can't happen in the U.S., unfortunately. However, that did not stop me from closing my eyes and picturing what would happen. And I just see people sitting on their, their doorsteps with uh, their shotguns, picking off drones out of the sky, <laughs> and then running over and picking up the pizza as like a victory reward, and then selling the electronic components that didn't get busted on eBay. 
And this just seemed like wow, it was you bringing... Really, you really thought this one through. I prepared for this podcast, Chris. <laughs> it just a, seemed uh, like bringing a video game to life for me and sounded great. We got life after investing for you, man. You got some <laughs> creative juices flowing there. Um, is that if you get something, let's say they clear it for you, just you personally, or say, okay, we're going to get something delivered for you. Are you going with pizza? You're probably not going with pizza because you eat incredibly healthy. No, I'm absolutely going with pizza. Oh, you are going with oh, pizza. Oh, yeah. All right. It's a, you know, I can, if, if you want to, you know, play my, my healthy card here, uh, I always seem to wait too long before ordering, reordering coffee. Um, so if I could get my coffee delivered, that would be excellent. That's a good one. Jason, what about yeah, you? Yeah, for fear of pizza delivery guys uniting everywhere and kicking our butts for this, I think I'd probably keep the pizza delivery guys. And, and I would opt. If this was eight years ago, I would have gone probably with diapers. Uh, but I think today now, just a nice cold six-pack of some good beer, yeah. I think I'd pay for that. I'd I was like going to say, yeah, beer. If, if, if there's a, a licensing deal that can be worked out with uh, the Virginia State Liquor Control, the ABC stores, and I can just, you know... Pay over the phone, and then a you know a fifth of Jack Daniels just you know gets gently dropped in my hands from an unmanned drone. I'd be That's like that will be shortly man. followed with all podcasts being taped at Chris Hill's house. <laughs> Brian Hinman, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.